You know, when it comes to uh, a great expectations, when it comes to our expectations of God, I think they're split into different camps and categories. And I'm aware that maybe some of you this morning, I don't know all of you, uh, maybe you, you wouldn't say that you're a follower of God, you're not sure you're a Christian, that's absolutely fine. You're welcome here, really welcome. Um, you know, and many of us, when it comes to God, let's just assume for a moment that God exists, okay? So even if you don't believe in Him, let's just assume He does. If you can go with me on this one, many people, their expectation of God is that God isn't that nice. So if there is a God, our expectation is that God is some kind of like cosmic kind of killjoy or headmaster or policeman. And basically, if there is a God, he ain't all that nice. And it's funny that when I say to people, even here in the church, even staff or other people, oh, have you got time for me? Do you want to come into my office? They go, what have I done? So I don't know what it is about me, but there's something about authority, okay, uh, in that sense that, that we always think, oh, you know, like the headmaster or the boss or this. And we think our expectation is that God isn't that nice. The second camp, though, many of us, our expectation is God is really nice. In fact, He's so nice that He'll only ever give me nice things. He's like a cosmic slot machine or a Father Christmas. Many of us, our expectation of God is that whether He's nice or not, it's irrelevant because our expectation of God is defined by our experience of life. And because life has dealt with us certain, in certain ways, we come to our expectation of God based on our experience of life. Are you with me? But I want to put that, all that out the window. God has greater expectations for your life than you do. God wants more for your life than you do. The problem is we just don't know what those expectations are. And they're crystallised in the words of Jesus. When in John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. A week before the opening, many of you will know, 10 days before the opening, we had a break-in in our new building. And I was over at the gym, honestly, at eight o'clock in the morning and uh, the phone went and Stuart Hill's phone and, and he said, we've had a break in. And my first thought was not what they've stolen, but what they might have destroyed. Because they literally, they broke in through the back and they ripped a fence down over the back and they walked through this auditorium. There were thousands of pounds worth of speakers on the floor waiting to be installed in the roof the next day. They walked all the way past them and they went into the kitchen and they ripped out the cooker, they took the water boiler and they nicked the foreman's radio. Now, that's stuff that can be replaced. But if they'd have destroyed everything, that would have been devastating. And here's the thing, the enemy of our soul and the enemy of our life wants to steal, kill and destroy. And that's progressively worse, isn't it? But Jesus then says this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In the New Living Translation, it says, my purpose is that they would have rich and satisfying life. God's expectations for you and me is that we would have life and life in all of its fullness. That's his expectations for you. Now, in Jeremiah 29, how many of you had this verse at your baptism? Many of you did. Jeremiah 29 verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. This is some of the great expectations that God has. The problem is we interpret all that in a certain way. We interpret it that that means that what God wants for me will always be what I want for myself. It will always be good. I will be healthy and wealthy and happy the rest of my life. And how many of you know that ain't true? Because Jesus also said, in this world, you will have trouble. But take courage, I have overcome the world. 
So God has great expectations for us. And His expectations are for us that we would know rich, abundant and satisfying life. No matter what we're going through in life, we would know His life. Even, the Bible says, if we're going through the valley of the shadow of death, we can still know rich, abundant, satisfying life. God has great expectations for us as individuals and as a church. You know, we're entering into a new season for us as a church. And our prayer is that God will turn the excitement of entering into a new season into expectation of what God would do. Excitement is rooted in our emotions. Expectation is much deeper than that. My prayer has been these last few weeks that as we open the doors to a new building, that God would open the floodgates of heaven. That as we cut a ribbon in the natural, that God would cut something open in the supernatural and that we would see hundreds of people find their way back to God. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing? And last Sunday on this stage, it was great to have Brian Cole, the founding pastor of this church. It was just so sad that his wife Cynthia had passed away just a few months before would have been amazing if she'd have been here as well. But you know, she, she, yeah, he was here, which was brilliant. And, and I sent him an email uh, in the week just to thank him for what he did last Sunday. And he replied, and I want to read to you a little bit of what Brian wrote. He said this, It was one of the most inspiring days of my life, making me realise that Cynthia and I had been part of something which was going to last for eternity. And that the church is now in really good hands. I do appreciate being part of the continuing story and can assure you that I will continue to pray more than ever for the blessing of God to be outpoured in increasing measure. That's beautiful, isn't it? And uh, just a couple of days ago, I had a, a, a message, a Facebook message from a friend of mine, a guy, a guy I know, he's in another local church and uh, he wrote lots of things in it, but I want to just read a little bit of an extract of this. He said this, I've been praying that what has grown up from the ashes will be a season deeply rooted, radical in nature, with a core of divine strength that allows your community to take bold steps. That the new building will not be a destination as such, but an oasis to refuel for each part of the journey, a school to discover wisdom, a gym to build spiritual fitness, and a temple where his presence rests. He's really good with words, this friend of mine. Isn't that amazing? I pray that this will be an oasis to refuel, a school to discover wisdom, a gym to build spiritual fitness, and a temple where his presence rests. Amen. What an incredible prayer. In, in, in fact, we've crystallised that in the, the strap line of Life Central Church, a place to discover life. That's what Jesus' expectations are for you and me. The question is, are you living in the fullness of the life that He has for you now? Not yesterday, not tomorrow, but today. You see, I think we struggle to, do, to let go of the past, don't we? We struggle to let go of the past you see, there are two Greek words for life in the Bible. Uh, one is bios, where we get the word biology from. Uh, let's like, you know, life. But the other word is the word zoe, which is a Greek word that means abundant life. And that's the word that Jesus uses. I have come that they would have zoe life, life in all of its fullness. You see, the life that God intended for us has to be pursued as well as discovered. And I want to say to those of you who've been Christians for a long time, never stop pursuing the life of God. It's not something that you've had at one point in your life which you've ticked off. It's something which you continually have to pursue. If you go to certain countries in the world where there's a threat to um, kidnapping, you have to sign a form. It talks about proofs of life. Okay? And in that form, you have to prove that you're alive. But actually, what you do is you prove you're existing. You don't prove you're alive. 
Avoiding death is not the same thing as pursuing life. You know that, don't you? You see, the pursuit of the life that God wants for us is a pursuit. It's not a destination. We have to continue to pursue it. Life as God intended is not just life in you, but it's life through you. Abundant life is not selfish life. God's great expectations for you are not primarily about you maximising your potential or about you uh, achieving personal greatness. They're all about being consumed with an urgency for what matters most, something that is bigger than us. So I love what, what Brian wrote, that, that he realised that him and Cynthia had given part of their life to something that lasts for eternity. That's God's great expectations. That's life. And life as God intended is not a trouble-free life. It's not Disney or Hollywood. It's not where we're always going to get nice sugary things. We're going to get some really tough pills to swallow, some really difficult things to endure. But the context of the words of Jesus in John 10 are in the context of the relationship between a sheep and a shepherd. And we know from Psalm 23, sometimes that means that we go through the valley of the shadow of death. But we know that in the middle of it, we can know his life. So the next three weeks, I want to look at what stops us embracing and living in the reality of God's abundant life. And the first thing we're going to look at today is this. We struggle to let go of the past. We struggle to let go of our past, even if it's good. See, a lot in our past, it all falls into three categories, good, bad or ugly. We've all got some of that in our past, haven't we? And I think if we hold on to the past, we run the risk of not being able to embrace the present life that God has for us or the future that He wants us to create. It's a little bit like if you just hold your fists together like that, okay, just for a moment. If I said I've got 20 quid and I want to come and give it to you, and if I walk down to you, I guarantee some of you would go like that. But you cannot get hold of something new if you're holding on to something old. And we struggle to let go of the past. We hold on too tight to the past, whether it's good, bad or ugly. But listen, if you live in your past, you can die to your future. If you live in your past, you can die to your future. Now we are to appreciate the past. We are to honour the past. What I love about this church is that we honour our past. That's why Brian was here on, on last Sunday and why we talk about the past and past people and past stories. But we honour it not by living in it, but by giving God thanks for it, learning from it integrating it and moving on into the future. Isn't that right? We're to honour it. This is true of individuals and it's true of communities. It's even true of churches. Listen, my heart breaks when I'm around churches who are so stuck in the past that their present is dying and their future is dead. And you know, I don't know how many of you are middle lane drivers. Any middle lane drivers? You're not allowed to be anymore now, are you? There's a worse lane than the middle lane. It's the past lane. Not the fast lane, but the past lane. So many of us live in the past lane. So many churches live in the past lane. I was with some leaders recently and they, were, and they were saying about how their church used to be this and the church used to be that. And the church used to have young people and the church used to have teenagers and the church used to have family. And I felt really sad and empathic towards the, these guys. And then they said, but we love our hymns and we love the organ and we love this and we love that and we love the other. And I thought, and that's why you're dying. That's why you're dying, because you're living in the past lane. You haven't moved on. You see, the message doesn't change, but the way it's delivered has to, doesn't it? Our approaches have to. We have to let go of all of the good things in the past in order to embrace the good things that God has for in the future. We have to let go of all the bad things in order to embrace what God has. And we have to let go of all of the ugly things as well. 
So what I want to do is I want to look at an Old Testament story and just draw out a few principles and then we're going to finish today. So here's the story, 1 Kings 19. So let's go back up to my screen. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. Now let me just give some background. Elijah is the older guy. Elisha is the younger guy. Bit confusing because they're similar names, but they're two different people. He's a prophet, Elijah is. This represents in Israel a moving from one season to the next, okay? And so he goes towards Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Now a cloak, when a prophet wore a cloak, that was called a mantle. And when you put your cloak, your mantle around someone else, everybody knows that something else is happening. This isn't because Elisha is shivering or because he's cold, okay? This is because this is passing of the baton, if you like, one season to the next. This is about, you know, moving into the new thing that God has for you. Elijah went out and threw his cloak around him. Elisha then left his oxen and ran after Elijah. So it looks like Elisha is letting go of the old and he's embracing the new. But then he says, let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah replied. What have I done to you? Now, what's happening here is that Elijah, Elijah, the older guy, is is, is thinking, ah, he hasn't let go because he wants to go back and do all that stuff. Ah, I must have got it wrong. Maybe he wasn't ready to let go of the past in order to create the future. He took his yoke of oxen, but Elijah, Elijah left him and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his servant. It's a great little story. Let me just say a few things about letting go of your past. Number one, it requires some difficult choices. You see, Elisha is wealthy and busy. It's not that what he's doing is wrong. He is wealthy, he's busy, he's working, he's doing really good things. But God has something new for him. He has to let go of the past. This calls him to let go of the life he was living in order to embrace the new life that God has for him. The most spiritual thing you and I ever do is to choose. The most spiritual thing we ever do with our lives is to choose. Choices are all about our spirituality. You can feel spiritual in worship. You can feel the presence of God in worship. Brilliant. The most spiritual thing you ever do is not to feel, but is to choose. To choose God. What if God has something more for you than what you're holding on to? Now, can I just say a little aside? This is not a proof text for leaving your job. All right, let me just get that really clear. For Elisha, that's what he had to do. For the vast majority of people, that's not what God is calling them to do. And can I say, if you ever feel God is calling you to do anything big, all right, it's not just one word or one Bible verse that confirms it. The Bible's really clear. Is this consistent with the Word of God? What is the witness of the Spirit within you? What's the wisdom of wise people in your life who've been around a little bit? And what are the working of circumstances? Four W's there, that's for free. I've given you that, okay? If you want to know God's will, is it the Word of God? Is, where's the witness of the Spirit? What's the wisdom of wise people around you? And what are the working of circumstances? If those four don't line up, it isn't God, all right? But in this situation, what God's saying to him what Elijah, this was about him letting go of the old way of life in order to take a hold of what a God for him. Now, what I think that means for us is this. It means us shifting from the old way of living to a new way, even if it doesn't mean leaving your job, which it probably won't. So it means our shift is from self-centered thinking to others thinking. 
Our shift is from living just for this life to living for eternity. Our shift is just from thinking that I go to work to do what I do to think actually I go to work to serve God. And I go to work to serve God and to be a witness for Him in His kingdom. That's why I go. That's letting go of the old and embracing the new. You know, I think it's a shift from focus on comfort and safety to focusing on value and purpose. In the future, do you want to look back on your one and only life and say, do you know what I did with my life? I had a nice conservatory and a great garden. Fantastic. There's nothing wrong with a nice conservatory and a great garden. But is that all that we want? Or actually, do we want to give our life to something that matters for eternity? It makes some difficult choices. Listen, if you are not where you want to be, why do you keep choosing to stay where you are? If you are not where you want to be in life, why do you keep choosing to stay where you are? We've got to let go of the past. Secondly, it requires some painful separation. Elisha says, let me kiss my mother and father goodbye. Doesn't sound like a bad request, does it? I mean, come on, that's a good thing to do, isn't it? Young people, that's a good thing to do. When you're going away for a week, kiss your mom, kiss your dad, maybe not your dad, depends on your age, we'll we'll, we'll leave all that. Um, But listen, these are the words of Jesus uh, in the the Gospels coming up now, hopefully. In Luke chapter 9, still another said, this is when Jesus was, he had a crowd of people following him, and then his teaching got a little bit deeper. And can I say to us as a church, we need to get a little bit deeper as well. And as the teaching got a little bit deeper, the crowd got a little bit smaller. Because all of a sudden they realised that actually God isn't just a slot machine in the sky or a Father Christmas. Actually, this is going to cost something. Anyway, still another said, I will follow you all. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. (laughs) Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, the thing is, what we don't understand is that saying goodbye to your family in a Jewish culture wasn't just cheerio mom or send her a text. It took weeks. There were parties and there were celebrations. And actually, in another part of this chapter, the one guy says, let me first bury my dad. Now here's the thing, his dad wasn't dead. What it actually meant is let me wait until my father has died. In other words, let me, in other words, I'm putting up excuses here. I, I, I will let go of the past when it happens and, and I will move on and I will embrace your life, but not quite yet. And that's what's going on here. And that's what Elijah saw in Elisha. But it will take some painful separation. And it may be that for you and I, we have to separate out from some things or even some people from our past in order to live in the abundance of life that God has for us right now? Are there people in your past casting shadows over your future? Maybe there are people who have hurt you. You know, in in the Great Expectations, the the character of Miss Havisham. I mean, there she is in a, if you know the story, in a, in a, a, a wedding dress. The house is all set out for the wedding. She's been jilted at the, at the altar. She's been conned out of money from this con artist who stole her heart, who broke her heart, and she can't move on. How many of us are living as Miss Havishams or Mr. Havishams? We might not be wearing the wedding dress. We might, not, we might look like we're everybody else, but in our heart, we've never moved on. We've never moved on from that people or that person who hurt us, who betrayed us, who let us down. In Jesus' name, let go of the past. Let go of the past. You are missing out on the life that God has for you now because you cannot let go of the past. The people who have hurt us. What about the people who have spoken words over us? What about the people who have shaped us and cast shadows over us? I remember before I came to the church, I worked for a creative arts uh, mission organisation called Saltmine. 
And I took over from a guy called Jeff. It was an amazing keyboard player. Uh, and I, he moved out of the chair and I moved in. And I could play the keyboard, but not like Jeff. And everybody told me I could play the keyboard, but not like Jeff. And after a year of hearing how I could play the keyboard, but not like Jeff, I wanted to shoot Jeff. <laughs> but I didn't. He's a really nice guy. I had to come to the point where God said to me, Leon, you need to be you. I don't want you to be. I haven't made you to be Jeff. I've made you to be you. We've got to let go of the shadows of other people. Even the people who've mentored us and shaped us. It will require some painful separation. Are there people in your life who are actually influencing you more than you're influencing them? In order to embrace the life that God, I know there are certain people, if I'm around them too long, I can just feel the life of God being sucked out of me. Now I love people and I want to be with people, but I have to make sure that there are people in my life who are life-giving and not just life-draining. And maybe for you. And you say, oh yeah, yeah, but I'm influencing them, are you? Or are they influencing you? We have to have some painful separation if it means we're to embrace the life God has for us. Finally, it requires some decisive action. Elisha took pretty drastic and decisive action. What did he do? Well, I was, I was researching for this and I looked at Google for sermons around this and, and I dropped on this um, a message from a cowboy church in Texas. And I've been to Texas, I'm going again next year and, and I've met some cowboy churches in Texas. That sounds like they're terrible, but they're actually genuine cowboy churches. And they, so, so you come to the parking lot and there's horses all lined up, you know, all the time. seriously. And the doors are like the saloon doors like that. And there's all sand on, it's amazing. And it's great, you know, cowboy music. But as I found this sermon, the title was this, he killed his cow and burned his plow. It's great, isn't it? You know, I see, Johnny. He killed his cow and he burned his plow. But you know, that's exactly what he did. He killed his cow and he burned his plow. He took Drastic action. Listen, for many of us, plan B is to go back to the life we never wanted in the first place. I know so many people and have sat with so many people who've come out of a life of the past, but because they won't take drastic action, they keep drifting back to the life they said they never wanted in the first place. We've got to take some drastic action. We've got to kill the cow and we've got to burn the plow. And I'm not talking about people, all right, on that one. We've got to take something drastic in this. And what he did was he took the plough and the cow and he killed it and burnt it and he made it the altar to God. So what he did was he said, here's the stuff God has given me, but actually my life is not defined by what God has given me. My life is defined by my relationship with God. Wow. I often think to myself, you know, if I could never preach again or lead again, what would my relationship with Jesus be like? Is my life defined by what God has given me and put into my life or is my life defined by my relationship with him? That's a big question, isn't it? I didn't say that at the first service. That's a big question. But this is what he does. He takes the stuff God has given him and he turns it into an altar because his life is not defined by what God has given him. His life is defined by his relationship with God. So how do we kill the cow and how do we burn the plow? Well, I think what we need to do, guys, is we need to start a fire. (laughs) which is a bit dangerous in, a church, in our church with our history. But we need to start a fire and take every memory that's wounded us or hurt us or shaped us and put it in the fire. What we need to do is to say every good thing that God has given us, we need to maybe put that in there as well because we don't want to hold on to that because if we hold on too much to the past, then maybe we won't have hands open for the future and for the present 
And as we take all that stuff, the good stuff, the bad stuff, the ugly stuff, and as we put it in that fire, we then begin to get the courage to let God shape the present and the future. But I know for some of us this morning, you're going to say this, but it's so hard. So hard to do that. You don't know my past and I don't. You don't know my story and I don't. You don't know how much this has shaped me and defined me and I don't know that. But I know that God does. And when you say, but it's so hard, in the uh, Tom Hanks film, an old film now, A League of Their Own, which is a film about baseball, he's coaching a female baseball team and he's got them out on the, on the, the pitch and he's training them and he's drilling them hard and he's, and he's making it really difficult. And Gina Davis, who plays the pitcher, you know, the girl that throws the ball, she turns around and she's crying. She says, it's so hard. And he says, yeah, it's supposed to be hard. The hard is what makes it good. <laughs> the hard is what makes it good. And I'm not saying this is easy. In fact, this is not a, a one-off thing. This is a constant thing where we say, I've got to let go of the past. I'm going to let go of the past. I want to embrace God now and in the future. And maybe this morning, here, in our first week in Great Expectations, some of us could go like that and begin to let go of the past so that we can receive what God has for us in the present. And ask the band if they could come back up. It's time to let go so you can hold on to what matters the most. It's time to let go so that you can hold on to what matters the most. This morning as I was praying and just going over this again, I was reminded of a, of a quote I heard many years ago, which I haven't put up there because I only remembered it this morning. A guy called Larry Burkett and he said this, my greatest fear in life is standing before the Lord and hearing him say, I had so much more for you, but you held on too tightly. I had so much more for you, but you held on too tightly. I wonder this morning, is it time for some of us to let go of the past in Jesus' name so that we can receive what he has for us now? If you're not where you want to be, why do you keep choosing to stay where you are? If you know there's a future waiting for you, why do you choose to stay trapped in the past? Let's stand together. Let's stand. Just in a moment, we're going to, Abby and the guys are going to lead us in a, in a song, which is a song about holding on. But it's about holding on to God, not holding on to stuff. It's about holding on to the cross, not holding on to the past. And right now, I, I, I want to lead us, where, where, wherever you are here, or whether you're listening or whether you're watching this morning, you know, I, I, I want you to know that you can let go of the past. It's a choice. It involves some painful separation, but it will require some drastic action, which may be after the service. Maybe that you need to go and look in your phone and delete some contacts. Maybe you need to go and say, do you know what? I'm not going to hang out there anymore. I'm not going to go do that anymore because actually I want God's life. I don't want to be enslaved and defined and trapped by the past. I want what God has for me now and for the future. And so if that's you this morning, I want to lead you in something. So why don't we just close our eyes for a moment. And if that's you, all I want to ask you to do this morning is just to stretch out your hands in front of you and to open your palms so that you're saying to God, I'm letting go. I'm letting go of the past and my hands are open. I want what you have for me, Lord. So Father, I want to pray this morning here in this place and wherever anyone's listening or watching this, may we know your presence in our lives now in Jesus' name. Not yesterday. And not tomorrow, but now. God, we let go of the past. 
the good, the bad and the ugly. And Lord, we say, we welcome your life. Would you fill us again with your life? And God, as we continually let go, as we continually let go, let us continually hold on to you. Hold on to your cross, to your presence, to your life. Thank you, God, that you have greater expectations for us than even we do. And it's that we would know life and life in all of its fullness. So now, Lord, as we declare these great words in song, we say we hold on to the cross and we hold on to you and everything else we let go of. In Jesus' name, Amen.